I had one of the first affiliate funnels that had like personally branded videos in them. The quality was terrible, but I got really, really good at having very authentic, pretty humble conversations through video because I would tell people, I would say, look, my name is Jeff Lerner. I'm a half a million dollars in debt and I am making this video as part of my effort to dig out. Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Build Your Network podcast, the only top-rated show committed to helping you grow your business, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Let's get into the show. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Build Your Network podcast. Today, I am sitting down with the legend himself, Jeff Lerner. Jeff is a renowned entrepreneur, speaker, and author. He's the founder and chief vision officer of Entra, the world's first all-in-one physical, personal, and professional growth platform, which has enrolled over, get this, 200,000 users in its first three years in business to become one of the fastest growing education companies in the entire world. From a struggling jazz musician to a $100 million entrepreneur building eight and nine-figure companies out of his home, two of them landing on the Inc. 5000 list. Jeff's story and message continue to inspire millions. Guys, it's going to be such a fun conversation with Jeff. Got loads of questions for him. Excited to jump in here. Jeff, thanks so much for taking the time, man. I appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate it, Travis. I'm so glad to be here. So before we jump into kind of tactical, practical stuff on how you even begin to scale the company to hundreds of thousands of customers... I want to hear kind of the origin story where it all began. So let's rewind the clock a little bit. Talk to me about 11-year-old Jeff Lerner. Uh, set the scene for us. You know, What were you up to? What were your parents like? How'd you like school? All that good stuff. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for asking. 11-year-old. What's that? Is that like fourth grade? Fourth grade? Uh, Around fourth. Yeah, I'd say fifth Fifth grade maybe. Fifth, yeah. Okay. So in fifth grade, my, my homeroom teacher was Mr. Juleth. And he was also the math teacher. And uh, no, in all in all seriousness, so so I was very. I'm one of those people whose whose adulthood is very prescribed and to some degree predicted, or, or or at least you know oriented by his childhood, right? So I'll tell you, you know, the, the the few things you need to know about my childhood. First of all, I was born with a genetic condition called Wardenberg syndrome. So I, I, for lack of a more politically correct way to say it, I looked kind of funny as a kid. <laughs> I've kind of grown into it and, or, or maybe I've just gotten less insecure about it, but I, like, I, I got teased a lot. I got bullied a lot as a kid. I didn't really fit in. And, and I had this very palpable sense, like my whole life, like, like literally I used to have dreams about being deposited here from another planet as a kid. Like I just didn't fit to the point where I almost didn't even feel like I was part of the same species as like mm-hmm. all these, these mean people that I went to school with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it was very alienating. But I was also the oldest born, like the firstborn grandchild, the first of my generation in a relatively large family. So it was this coupling of like, my family really doted on me. I had all these aunts and uncles and I was the first of my, and grandparents, and I was the first of my generation. But then in school, I felt very ostracized and foreign from, from humans. So I think it created this bizarre sensate like conflict in me of like, I can do anything. I'm the anointed one. I'm, I have the favor of my whole family. And also I'm a total weirdo and I really like struggle and would rather just stay home all the time. So, so that was my childhood, I guess, in a nutshell. Um, and you can kind of see that play out as I got older in, in ways that I'm sure we're about to talk about. Yeah. What were your intentions coming out of high school? 
What did you want to do? Well, it's interesting you put it that way because I didn't actually make it out of high school. I dropped out of high school in the second semester of my junior year. I had just, I had had enough. I was, you know, frustrated with what I, I don't know that I had this, you know, highfalutin language for it, but I perceived it as a very sort of ineffective, bureaucratic, heavy-handed approach to, you know, basically I felt like they were trying to turn me into a, a little clockwork orange to reference sure. the Stanley Kubrick book. And, and that I was just, you know, being, being refined to be plugged into some system that was going to drain the life out of me. Like I could see it doing to totally. all my friends' parents. And I just, that didn't interest me. And I remember the day I told my parents, my junior year, I'm like, I'm like, first of all, you guys know, I'm not going to go play nice with others. It's not like there's a future for me to go get a job and climb the corporate ladder. Like I hate that stuff. And that's all school seems to me to be is like, is like, premature job training. Yeah, exactly. And so I'm out and I had to, I had to, you know, I had to actually enroll them in the idea of me dropping out of school and that, that I was going to go forge an alternative path that would work out better. And, you know, thankfully it did. Yeah. They don't have like the option where, where they, they, you know, that little game you get for kids where it's like the little, like the little orb and there's shapes and you put the shapes in, that's like a star. You put the star where the star goes, yeah. you put the circle where the circle goes. You I know, do know what you're talking about. Yeah. the shapes and stuff. I feel like in school, it's just like they have the one, the one Ugh. hole that everybody's supposed to fit in. And if you're born a star, it doesn't matter. You got to go in the circle. If you're born yeah. a square, you got to go in the circle. You're born a triangle, you got to go in the circle. There's no like, hey, you seem to have these natural proclivities. Why don't we put you over here where you can fit into this hole? And this is probably the best learning path for you. It's none of that. It's mm-hmm. there's one path. And if you don't fit on this path, not only will you be like ostracized from your classmates, but now you're going to take a notch down in your confidence level and your ability to believe in your, in your, uh, your own ability to go find success on a different path because yeah. you're told your whole life that you're not going to be successful because you don't fit in that, that circle. That yeah, and, and it was pretty bad. I, don't, I, won't go to, I won't take this and run too far with it because I know we have other, other subjects to cover, but, it, but I will just say it was pretty bad. I mean, the school counselors were telling my parents basically that I had to go see like psychiatrists or else they wouldn't let me go to the school. And they were trying to put me on medication in my, in my, my tweens and my teens, which I kind of refused to take. And it it was good. You know, I was a stereotype of, of pretty much the problems that you're describing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's funny how much weight people put on a, a high school counselor. Like they're the like Oracle, a uh, fortune teller of your life or something. And it's like, look, bro, not trying to, you know, say anything about anybody's job choice and everybody has a role in society and that's all great. But also like, if I don't want to be a counselor, like, I don't know if I should be taking advice from the person that works at the high school telling kids what to do with their lives. Like maybe I should go learn from somebody who is doing the thing that I actually want to be doing and see what they have to say about it. You know, like there's just none of those things are, are not only are they not taught, they're almost frowned upon as like, oh, you're going to do that. Well, good luck. You know, you're not going to go to college. Oh, well, there goes Jeff. You know what I mean? Like we, we tried our best, but there's no way we're you know going to be able to salvage that one. Um, it's yeah. Just, you it's, get like a, you get like a scarlet letter that you're supposed to wear around for the rest of your life. It's like, oh, yeah. he didn't, he didn't conform. So we don't know what to do with him. I'm curious. Um, I, I ask these types of selfish questions sometimes if, if you allow me to. I have, I have two kids, two small kids. My son's three. My daughter's about 18 months. And so a lot of these things are on my mind now uh, as, as a parent, because obviously we want what's best for our kids. And we understand through the lens that we get to look through now, the perspectives that we've gained through being in the world that we are in, in, in the industry that we're in, 
that there is not just one path to to success. How do you view your job as um, you know as as a parent to be able to help your kids avoid some of that you know some some of that one path minded men, men mentality that a lot of people have? Yeah, I mean, I view myself, and I have four kids: uh, one that just started college, one that has one year left of high school, one that is going to be starting high school soon, and one that starts kindergarten next year. So I've kind of got the full, oh, yeah. the full okay. experience, right? And I take the same approach academically with my children that I do across the board with my children, whether it's athletics, whether it's the arts, whether it's their friends, whether it's what they do on the weekends. I want them to know that they are incredible humans, not in a superior, like, oh, we're the learners, we're better than so-and-so. Just like, you are like a created, blessed being, yeah. right? Like yeah. whatever the teleology of humankind is, like it's a pretty magical story. And the fact that you're here is spectacular. Yeah. And you're not here to be any less or any different than exactly what and who you are. And, and you know, I just want, I want them to know that they're enough and I want them to know that they're incredible. And I want them to know that however they want to express, there's a place in the world for them. Mm-hmm. And, and to be circumspect and realize just because you don't see it inside your school doesn't yeah. mean it doesn't exist in the world. Because what they show you in school is a pretty thin slice of the big, crazy world out there. And I would tell them, I said, if you're vibing in school, awesome, run with it. But if you're not, don't let it get you down. Come talk to me and I'll tell you what else is out there. We can maybe figure out a different way. Yeah, love it. I have to take those asides now as as a parent. It's like, yeah. what's <laughs> you can see the my question asking uh, evolve uh, since I had kids. But okay, so so back to back to your story. So you you drop out of high school. You convince these like parents, everybody like this is the path for me. This is what I'm going to do. What like what happened after that? Like, yeah. So there, I so I go to my parents. Moment or was it like this? Nope. I'm I'm good. I'm confident. No, my my, my mom who was really the the CEO of my family. And she was a very successful attorney. She was actually, yeah, it's funny. I don't really get much credit for, for anything I've done right in this world. I'm basically a product of two amazing women. One was my mom and one is my wife. Um, and by the way, today's my 10, the, the day we're recording this is my 10 year anniversary. So I'm very- oh, Happy anniversary. He, thank you. I'm very heavy in the awareness of how much I owe to these amazing women in my life. Yeah. Um, but my mom, she was a, she was the- I can't, it was either the first or second. I've never gotten clear, but she was one of the first two female partners at one of the five biggest law firms in the country. Like she was a badass, right? Yeah, wow. And so she saw me just getting my ass kicked by the educational system and being unhappy and looking like haggard and and sickly. And like, she literally saw it draining the life out of me, this fight to just exist in in, right. in in a way that I didn't have to feel ashamed of. And so honestly, I think they were relieved. You know, they, <laughs> they got a call from the truancy officer that said, Jeff, this was the second semester of the junior year. And it was like out of 35 days of school so far, Jeff has been absent 22 times. Because I was just driving to a local parking lot and sleeping in my car yeah. Because I would stay up all night trying to teach myself music because I had basically decided in my mind, I need to develop a skill that I can go out into the world and make a living with without mm. having to play the game that I detest so much. Yeah, And I yeah. had landed on music. And so I was staying up all night on a keyboard with headphones, teaching myself to play the piano. So I would drive to a parking lot and sleep all day. Finally, the truancy officer called my parents and I, and I came clean and I was like, this is, what it, this is why. And they said, 
okay. And my mom marched me up to the school the next day and actually withdrew me. And she ended up having to submit a letter on her, her firm's letterhead, basically flexing, look, I'm an attorney. If you don't let me take my son out of here, I'll see you in court. Yeah. And uh, so they, they had my back, which was, but they also, they told me, look, the plan was always for you to get through high school and then you go out on your own, right? Like we're not going to baby you your whole life. And that plan hasn't changed. Yeah. So they said, basically, you've got a year and a half that we were prepared to support you while you were in high school. So if you have a different plan, you've got a year and a half to figure it out. And so for that year and a half, I played, the, I practiced piano literally 14 hours a day. I, I ended up giving myself arthritis in my 20s because I put in so many hours wow. teaching, trying to teach myself this skill, trying to crash course this skill that would set me free from the need of the, you know, the mainstream hamster wheel. And it worked. I ended up going on all through my 20s. I had a reasonably successful career as a, as a working, you know, jazz and, and gigging pianist. And then that, you know, that led to its own micro disaster that I rebounded from. And, you know, we can get into that if you want. But, but yeah, basically yeah. I became a musician. I mean, that's, that's such a cool story and insight from somebody like your mom, who was, you know, obviously extremely highly educated. And, and you, find, you find that like a lot of times, maybe people like that are less flexible with their kids in terms of what they're willing to allow them to do or not allow them to do. And um, and so, so, so cool. So yes, I do want to get into, you know, how you transition from, you know, pianist to building multiple eight and nine figure companies. Because sure. that's your career counselor, you know, in high school, when they talked to you, I'm sure you probably weren't like, oh yeah, I'm going to sell info products online to hundreds of thousands of students across the globe. Right. You know what I mean? So how, how, yeah. how did that come to fruition? Yeah. So I came by entrepreneurship very authentically. You know, my, my big master plan was to be a musician, right? Because I valued freedom more than money. Yeah. And I just, I figured that out at an early age that my currency was, was autonomy. Totally. And, and creativity. And I did end up actually, go, incidentally, I did end up going to college because of my music. I was able to get uh, a scholarship actually to go to college. And I ended up graduating with a degree, even though I, I dropped out of high school. And while I was in college, I studied creative writing. I studied theater. I, stu I ended up majoring in composition with an emphasis in jazz piano performance. And I also minored in business finance. I was very, I knew I had an, an appetite for, for business. Yeah. I just didn't have an appetite to go work at somebody else's. And frankly, in, in 1996, when I started college, they're really, they didn't really teach entrepreneurship at the college sure. level. And frankly, I'm not sure really that they still do that very well. But uh, if they did, I don't think th th there'd be such a white space for entre, frankly. But anyway, so I started playing. I, I, I worked really hard. I got some gigs. And in my early 20s, I ended up getting some gigs uh, because I was clean cut. I, I, I dressed well. I didn't this is a big deal. I didn't smoke. So I didn't always come back from break smelling like cigarettes. That's like a big thing for musicians. They don't realize how off-putting that is to their, their clients, right? And so for a number of reasons that didn't have anything to do with how well I played the piano, I ended up starting to get gigs playing at really, really high-end private parties. And I got booked into the homes of like actual billionaires to play piano at their house. And there's a whole story of how I worked my way in with the one agency and I had to sell myself and whatever. But long story short, I ended up getting gigs for, for people like Tillman Fertitta, who, you know, is a big yeah. name now, right? On the uh, show, yeah. You know, uh, who else? Bob McNair, the owner of the Houston Texans. Jim Crane, the owner of the Houston Astros. Like, I'm literally playing for billionaires. And, um, 
I, I talked to, I saw, I actually started talking to like just being in the presence of people. I played like James Baker's 80th birthday party, the former secretary of state, right? Like with him and like 10 of his friends at, at his house. Nice. And so I'm surrounded by these people who just completely recalibrated in my mind what's out there and what's possible for people. Mm. Like these are people that like, well, like Bob McNair, the owner of the Houston Texans, I, I write about him in my book that's uh, coming out soon. You know, he was, he told me a story of like how he, he's like, I failed so many times. And then, you know, one day I came up with this idea and, you know, I'm sitting in his house, the guy's worth two and a half billion dollars and he failed 17 times. Right? right. So, so I just developed this notion of what's possible. And so, you know, I'm a, in the evenings, I'm playing gigs in the mornings, I'm going to school in the afternoons. I'm like, I'm going to start trying to, I'm going to become an entrepreneur. Right. And uh, that's all through my 20s. I started business after business after business. I was always undercapitalized. I was always under-equipped and under-informed and under everything. Uh, I failed 11 times. And in my late 20s, I actually got... Uh, in two, You remember 2006, 2007, the world was kind of nuts. Like yeah. anybody with a... like. I was, I was going to say anybody with a pulse could borrow money, but actually they were, I think they were literally giving loans to dead people at the time. Yeah, totally. Um, so I was able to get a couple SBA loans to open up these franchise restaurants. I, was, I thought that was like my big thing that I was going to do. And I opened up these two franchise restaurants. I borrowed you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars that I, I had no credit. I mean, they shouldn't have given me the loans. But, uh, and, right, and that was right in the, the beginning of the Great Recession, 2007. The economy collapsed, the bubble burst, all the craziness happened. So fast forward, fall 2008... I'm $495,000 in debt. I have two closed franchise restaurants. I have the federal government chasing me uh, to recoup these SBA loans for about $300,000. I have two big real estate trusts trying to hound me for four years remaining on two five-year commercial leases. I have attorneys. I have payroll taxes. The state of Texas Workforce Commission. I'm basically... Four, you know, half a million dollars in debt. I'm 29 years old at this point, and I'm just a piano player. So uh, that's when I went online and I started learning about this emerging digital economy. And uh, you know, I've I've done pretty well with it. I actually ended up paying off that debt in 18 months, and I've just been kind of riding that wave through a variety of different online business models ever since. Yeah. What was the first one that uh, you felt like worked for you? Like if you're looking back and you're like, yeah, it was failure after failure after failure after failure. But this one was like the thing that gave me confidence to go into the next thing and crush that. Uh, one. Yeah. It was very clear cut, man. Um, November, it was the, the fourth week of November, 2008. I'm in all this debt. I've actually been evicted from my apartment or I say evicted. I just, I had to move out because I couldn't pay the rent. Um, and I actually moved back in or moved in with my wife's parents but my wife was also trying to separate from me. So I'm separated from my wife, but I'm also in the house with her and her parents. Oh no. So I'm just living in total ignominy in the spare, the guest bedroom, right? Like I literally never come out of the room because I just feel like such a black sheep. And I found a course that taught affiliate marketing on the internet. And uh, I spent, you know, two thousand dollars. Basically, maxed out a card, a credit card, my my last remaining capital that I had any access to. I maxed out buying this course, and I had a little bit of cash that I had pulled from the franchise restaurants before they closed. And I ended. It's so crazy. I actually ended up buying an affiliate marketing business opportunity from a guy in California. I paid two thousand dollars on the credit card, and then I mailed the guy like 10 grand, the last 10 grand I had to my name. 
And I started going through this online training and uh, it was all legit. And affiliate marketing was amazing. And especially back then, it was a really wide open opportunity. And, you know, the one thing I really had going for me is remember, I was a self taught pianist yeah. who, you know, I know how to sit at a keyboard for 14 hours a day and focus. And by the way, focus is a superpower, especially in the world we live no in. Kidding. I just know how to focus. No kidding. And then in, you know, in, in a few months, I, I got to where I was making decent money. In six months, I got to where I was making 40, 50 grand a month. And in 18 months, I had paid off half a million dollars. Wow. That's incredible. What, what would you say uh, coming out of, of like being in the affiliate marketing world? What was the core, the core skill that you developed during that time that has now been able to help you throughout the duration of all the rest of your businesses? Uh, I would say there were two. One is search engine marketing. Okay. which I would, I would extend now. I mean, at, the, at that time, there was no like Facebook and Instagram ads. It was yeah. all paid ads were really either search ads or like banner ads or something, right? So, but I got really good at like algorithm-based, very sophisticated, keyword-driven and, and demographically targeting, targeted advertising camp, digital advertising campaigns, right? So, so kind of like, uh, like article blog style driving traffic to an offer on, that you were running for an affiliate campaign? Yeah, yeah. So I would run, I would run a search ad, you know, a clickable search ad, and it would take people to a landing page that was like, a, yeah. you know, a, an, an art, what do they call it? An article, not an article, a, like an advertorial, right? It looked yeah, like yeah. an article, but it was something I wrote that had a, a commercial agenda. They would take people to a landing page with an opt-in and a tripwire. And I got rid so, you know, sales funnels, all that. And then the other thing I would say that differentiated me at the time, because at the time, affiliate marketing was new enough that everybody was really enamored with just the idea that, oh, you can just cop, you can just replicate a page and drive traffic to it just like the other guy. But yeah. I very early recognized that, okay, there's not going to be any, like, there's going to be a lot of value in, in having some sort of unique experience in my funnel that's not just a clone of someone else's. Mm. So I started shooting videos. I would actually wait for my, my wife and her parents to leave the house. And I would run down to the backyard with, I had an old, a little camera. This was before phones had cameras on. Yeah. And I would shoot videos in the backyard. And then, and then I, as soon as I would hear them come home, I would run back upstairs and I would upload the videos. And, and I actually started building... I had one of the first affiliate funnels that had like personally branded videos in them. The quality was terrible, but I got really, really good at having very authentic, pretty humble conversations through video because I yeah. would tell people, I would say, look, my name is Jeff Lerner. I'm a half a million dollars in debt and I am making this video as part of my effort to dig out. And I thank you for your time. And I have some information that I think can really help. And I you know, I appreciate it if you take a listen. And they would, they, they, they appreciated that approach. That's super interesting. So, so really, that all fed into all the other direct response skills. Now, yeah, I mean, of course, VSLs, copywriting, email—it yeah. all directly translates. Yeah, I've basically been doing that stuff now for thirteen years. Yeah. Okay. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with. Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% 
of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. So uh, so timeline kind of zoomed out here. When does Entra come along? And when do you realize that like, oh, yeah, so, this is going to be the thing? So very high level timeline, 2008 to 2012. I did affiliate marketing. 2012, I actually exited a partnership with some other guys that I was doing affiliate marketing with. And in 2013, I started a digital agency. I wanted to take these skills and go assist local businesses who were really struggling because their Yellow Pages ads weren't working anymore, right? Right. And they didn't know why. So I built a a local agency. And from 2013 to 2018, I grew that agency. We ended up servicing 11,000 small and medium-sized businesses in the US and Canada. At one point, I had a 55-person office. But interestingly, I never, I was never at. I was home. I was still working from home, but I had an office for the employees and the salespeople and everything to go to. And uh, so I grew that for five years. And that was really my, my legitimate experience of like scaling a business. Gotcha. You know, we grew that to about 6 million a year run rate. I was a sole owner, you know, 25, 30% margin. So I'm bringing in, you know, 1.5 a year, roughly. Like life is great. I mean, for a yeah. guy that was six years ago, I was broke and homeless. Yeah, it's a, it's a lifestyle level up. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> and in 2018, then I had an opportunity to sell my agency to a software company that wanted the book of business. They wanted the customer list. So I did that. And then at that point, I, I, was, I was 39 years old and I was kind of on the cusp of being able to retire. Yeah. And uh, I decided, you know, I, I think there's a second act here where considering how far I've come in the last 10 years, may, and there's a lot of people out there that are struggling. And this was pre-pandemic. Yeah. I had no idea how prescient this was. But there's a lot of people out there that seem very uncertain and seem to struggle and, and, and just don't seem happy with what they're, they feel like they have to do every day. Maybe right. I should go teach the world how I've done what I've done. And I started doing that. And within a year, that grew into Entra. Within a year. Yeah. So I started putting out videos in September of 2018. And my initial idea, I came up with a brand called School of Awesome. It was like, you're going to come to awesome school and learn how to have an awesome life. And it was just me making free videos, right? And then by summer of 2019, about nine months later, I had enough traction and and enough virality and interest to realize, okay, there's really something here. A, I might need a little more professional sounding name. (laughs) <laughs> Me, I might need a business partner. I might need an integrator because I'm in over my head. I, I see the opportunities bigger than what I can t- tackle. Sure. Uh, and, I, and I brought in a co-founder who was a good friend of mine. And okay. then that was, you know, right at three years ago. 
So let's let's talk a little bit more tactical here, because obviously, you know, we talked at the beginning about what ended up happening there. Now over two hundred thousand customers, which is just insane numbers for an educational program. There's not many education programs that get to those types of numbers and do the types of yeah. Re- it, I got to drop a stat for you. We enroll students right now at the same rate as every university in the state of California put together. Wow. Yeah. B- so, about between six and eight thousand a month. So the question is. What about the first thousand? How'd you get the first thousand? Great question. And this is, man, I mean, this is, this will change lives if people will actually do it. Now it's hard to do, but uh, what I did was I took a method that I saw online, a guy named, you know, I'm sure you know, Frank Kern, mm-hmm. and he was doing something in 2018 called intent-based branding. And uh, actually one of our mutual friends, Aaron, who we, we spoke about earlier, was actually a guy that I, I talked to at the time and him and I kind of hacked what Frank was doing. And it, basically what it is, is you just start putting out like, you know, call it infotainment, right? You're just putting out valuable content that's engaging and gives something of real value yeah. and, doesn't, and, and doesn't really ask for much. Like maybe yeah. it asks like, hey, if you're interested in learning more, you know, subscribe to my channel or something, right? Sure. But you just give, give, give. But you give for a variety of different subjects and you give in a very coordinated way where you're targeting different, different cat- interest categories and demographics and all these different segments with, with your giveaway. And then you use that as information to figure out what are the messages that people want from me? What is it about me that people resonate with? Who should I be targeting based on who I get the best response from? And, you know, Facebook will give you all that data if, with their pixel. And so for nine months, from September to June, September 2018 to June 2019, I was putting out tons of videos. I shot like five or 600 videos in like nine months hmm. about a wide variety of subjects. And I would actually boost them on the Facebook platform. I'd spend like 10 bucks on this video, 20 bucks on this video. If I really thought I had a winner, I might spend 50 bucks. And I would target different categories, right? And so, so one video, I might say, okay, show this to males who also follow Gary Vee. And another video, I might say, show, show this to women over 65. And another video, right? So every video was like a combination of a specific topic and a specific target. Yeah. And I, and I did that hundreds of times. And I was able to kind of reverse engineer a formula, like where am I getting the most traction for the lowest cost? Yeah. And within nine months, I had a pixel that had 2 million people that I could now retarget that had consumed at least 25% of one of my videos. Sure. And so the first thousand customers, basically in July of 2019, I locked myself in a hotel room for two weeks. I created a course. July 22nd, I started selling that course. And I would say within a week, I was selling you know 20 or 30 units a day of that course. So the first six months was nothing but content. First 10 no, months. First 10 months. No offer. There's no landing page. You're not collecting information. I wasn't even like, asking for an email address. Like you're literally just like optimizing for video views on the, on the ad campaign. Yeah. Video views, watch time, click through rate. Uh, really? And I was, I was actually looking at like to share ratio. Sure. I was, yeah. aim, I was trying to find How those unicorns that get shared. Yeah. Engagement yeah. is all I was really focused on. And so, so after those 10 months of putting out the content, you took basically all the winners and asked yourself, what does this demographic need the most? What content is resonating with them? And let's create a course that goes deeper on all of those things. Amen. And then send traffic to people that watched to that segment that watched, you know, the 2 million people that watched 25% of at least one video on this topic. You send them an ad that goes like, Hey, you've probably seen me before. 
you know, we yep. have this new thing, go here. What was the offer on that course? Was it kind of like a lower ticket? Thing, yeah, it was, was a $39. It was a $39 course called the Entre Blueprint. And, and in, in a nutshell, it was, it was basically a holistic approach to digital entrepreneurship. So it was like, I'm going to teach you. I'm not going to just... I, basically, my pitch was, hey, I'm not one of those guys that's going to tell you that you have to do this if you want to be successful. You have to do e-com. You have to do drop shipping. You have to do an Amazon store. You have to start a podcast. You totally. have to create your own course. Like all these gurus yeah, out there. Nothing else railroad. works. This is the only way. Yeah. yeah. And so exactly. <laughs> and so instead, I basically sold a survey, a survey approach that said, not, not a survey, like let's take a survey, but like in yeah. college, when they do a survey course, it's like, I'm going to teach you the entire landscape of the digital yeah. economy and help you figure out what's the best path for you while giving you a 101 introduction to the fundamentals of digital marketing and digital business. And that was just a, you know, it was a unique offer that, that 39 people bucks. Yeah. 39 bucks. Any back, any upsells or back? Yeah. Yeah. That? So I very quickly realized, I mean, you know, I, I was able to burn through my warm, like those 2 million people. I mean, I was able to make, start making sales at a very low cost per acquisition. Even still, I was spending more than $39 to sell a $39 course. So the first thing I did was I put some upsells in the actual, in the actual order funnel, just kind of one click upsells. And I was able to get my cart value up to about $90. To be honest, I don't even remember what the upsell was so many iterations ago, but I was able to, uh, yeah, so I was able to get to about break even. Like at that time I was acquiring for $90 to $100, a $90 average cart value. But I very quickly realized, okay, I'm giving people, I mean, it was almost within a few weeks, I was giving people this, this survey approach to the digital economy. And like, um, and basically, so I went out and I licensed some curriculum from some people I knew that offered three specializations where it's like, okay, I've shown you this digital economy. If you decide you want to specialize in affiliate marketing. And at the time I I started with e-commerce, it was affiliate marketing, e-commerce, or a digital agency. Uh, which I think at the time I called digital consulting. Basically, if you want to go into one of those three specializations, I have an advanced course that I can promote to you that's taught by a friend of mine. And that was a $2,000 price point. $2,000. Initially, yeah. But there was their course though. So you're making a commission on that or or you bought the licenses and you- I I actually bought it. Yeah, I worked out a deal where I was able to acquire the rights to those courses and sell them for $2,000. But I, I did have to pay a salesperson. I actually- one of the things I found, again, I don't know, I don't know how tactical your audience is, but like, I'll give away a, a huge tactic. Yeah, I'd love to hear. You know, most people bristle at the idea of, hey, here's a $39 customer. I'm going to pay for somebody to actually get on the phone and do high touch, white glove, you know, essentially consulting and, and almost like a concierge level service for a $39 buyer. There's no way that would be profitable, right? But I found that people were so surprised and delighted by the fact that their $39 course came with a real person they could talk to. Yeah. That it like quadrupled the upgrades to the $2,000 course. And those people, I mean, they were like, you know, whatever, a success coach or something like yeah, that. They, they, we, but yeah, we don't use sell. the term coaches because I think the coaching industry has unfortunately gotten very contaminated as like, jaded, are they coaches yeah. or are they salespeople? Sure. Um, but we, we actually refer to them as, as enrollment advisors. Okay. And that's, that's a very calculated term because they are there to advise. Yeah. But we make no bones about the fact they are also there to enroll. Sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's more like consultative selling, right? Yeah. It's like, hey, how can we help you? It seems like, it seems like you have interest over here. If this is something that's interesting to you, I mean, 
we have this, it's only 2000. Yeah, we have this, we have this, we have this. And then the other thing I did was I actually, I, I didn't want to be one of those programs where you get into it and you reach, you hit a wall and it's like, oh, so I, if I want to keep going, I got to spend more money. Right. I wanted to have a, like, I just, and, and even back then the internet and the internet, it's continuing to evolve a little bit, but it, let's be honest, it's still kind of a grody place in a lot of yeah. ways. Right. And so I was really, really like, and there's a whole reason why I had this whole like spiritual catharsis and it just, it had to be this way. I wanted something for every one of my, every person in my world. I wanted them to be able to get com- like completely satisfying levels of value and never feel like they were squeezed. So yeah. I actually spent a lot of time invest, uh, creating two programs for people that couldn't afford the upgrade. One was a resourcefulness path about helping people that really don't, that wanted to upgrade, but didn't have the money actually giving them like very grassroots kind of bootstrappy strategies of how to get the money, how to start really small. Yeah. And then I even had uh, eBooks that I created for each of the paths so that if somebody want, couldn't afford the upgrade, I can at least give them a do-it-yourself approach that they didn't have mm. to pay for. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So very value-driven, very community-based. Yes. Focused on retention. So Honestly, just focused on like surprising people because for valid reasons, the average internet consumer is pretty cynical now because they've just gotten slammed by every knucklehead guru out there. And I just wanted people to go like, wow, I can't believe how much this program delivered. And they never made me feel like I didn't have choice. Yeah. What was the biggest growth phase for you? You know, you hit first thousand customers by doing like, oh yeah, let's do, you know, content retarget. And, and and on that too, did you do you do you remember how much you spent on just boosting content for 10 months? Yeah, it was about 20 grand. That's it. Yeah. So I started a hundred million dollar company on a twenty thousand dollar startup budget to put it bluntly. Okay. Okay. So first thousand customers, you get them in, warm retargeting, thirty-nine dollars went through all of that. At what point are you like, holy shit, (laughs) this is growing? Like more yeah. than I even expected it, it was going to. So I'll tell you, it, man, and I love, I love these questions. I mean, I, I feel like we could go really deep and geek out on this and I'm going to try yeah. to give it as compactly as possible for your audience. But from summer 2019 through early 2022, I was really, me and my partner, my partner's name is Adam and he's a brilliant marketer. Him and I, between the two of us, I would say we're a complete marketer. We're like a you know, all the check marks you need to have to be like the best marketer in the world. Neither one of us is by ourselves, but put us together and we're pretty damn good. And so I would say we spent about probably another eight or nine months really, really trying to crack the funnel to make it where we knew that it would scale profitably with entirely cold traffic. Mm. We gave ourselves a runway with the warm audience that I had built, but we we knew eventually we'd run out of those eyeballs. And so we were testing and tweaking and optimizing for about another nine months to get to where we felt confident that we had a a cold traffic funnel that could self-liquidate in in 21 days, basically so that we could charge our traffic and have the money back in time to pay the credit card bill, right? Mm. And uh, and I would say we cracked that in early 2020, which was a very bizarre time because that's right when the pandemic erupted, right? And I remember I was speaking at an event in February 2020 and I barely made it home before they shut down air travel. Yeah. And I was flying home to launch cold traffic ad campaigns. And so, you know, long story short, we we cracked that. And in 2020, we grew from from the volume we did in January to the volume we did in December. In December, we did 40 times the revenue that we did in January. So 4,000% month over month in 12 months. What was the... uh... 
high level structure on that funnel? Like, are you still selling low ticket front end? Is there like a continuity retention group on the back end? Like, are there yeah, so higher we've, ticket, lower ticket? We've evolved quite a bit starting. So 2020 was really like proof of concept, right? Like, we, like proof, proof of concept and proof of our ability to scale in terms of sales and marketing. Yeah. So we were having to hire salespeople. We were having to bring on ad managers because the campaigns got bigger than, you know, because I'm now I'm the face, I'm creating the content. My partner, Adam, he's doing the funnel optimization. Between us, we're writing all the copy. I'm recording yeah. all the sales materials. Buying the I'm media. having to create yeah. the products. Like we needed help, right? So, so 2020 was just a year of investing in sales and marketing. And honestly, 2021 was, and feel free to bleep this out if it's not appropriate, but 2021 was like our, oh shit, we just grew to a, you know, a 40, $50 million annual run rate. And we have like no infrastructure to support this. Like all we are is a sales and marketing company, right? Yeah. And by the way, if there's one thing the internet doesn't need another of, it's a sales and marketing heavy inter- education company that doesn't deliver on the back end, right? <laughs> right. And, 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 you know, we had a conscience and we're like, okay, so 2021 is going to be about building. It's, it's kind of like, like a, like a 14 year old kid that like, that like grows a foot in like a year, like puberty yeah. hits and they sprout a year taller. Yeah. And then they need like two years after that, just to fill out their, new bone with their legs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so that was 2021 for us was filling out what we shot up in 2020. And we hired, I don't remember the exact head count, but we basically ended up hiring about a hundred people wow. in 2021, uh, brought on people from academia, really leveled up our educational product, ended up creating all our own. We, we completely got rid of the license training and created all our own training, reconfigured our pathways for people, launched our own funnel builder software because you know I have mad respect for Russell Brunson, but I got a little sick of sending him all my customers for his software. <laughs> um, so we built our own funnel builder software. We ended up launching a coaching program uh, and then we ended up launching actual live seminar, live personal development seminars, because one of the things I detected is that there's no amount of tactical business or marketing training I can give people that they can be effective with if they have not first made the psychological shift from employee thinking to entrepreneur thinking. Totally. And, you know, rather than send people to Tony Robbins to deal with their trauma and get confident or whatever, we ended up building our own personal development seminar company too. So, so now our USP in the market, and you can, you know, this is all a very compressed timeline. So as you can imagine, we yeah, were very no busy. Kidding. But you know, in three years, we've built a platform that has our own. It's a SaaS company, it's an events company, it's a coaching company, it's a learning management platform with our own curated curriculum that you know I I think is is competitive with a, an elite academic like university level standard. And I, I would argue now that we're we're probably the best option in the world as far as an all-inclusive educational platform for somebody that wants to develop as an entrepreneur. We just, we have everything you need in one place. So I, we're running out of time. And like you said, we could talk about tactics and strategies and uh, would, would love to hear more about that stuff sometime. Uh, but I, I do want to make sure that I talk a little bit about your book that's coming out. Um, mm, thank you. Because anytime... You know, I, I have mad respect for anybody that has that drives success in any field. But for me, in terms of consuming content through books, you either have to be a very prolific author and a gifted author, or you got to be a tactical, practical person that's been there, done that, bought the t-shirt a dozen times, and then can distill the information that you've learned and give it to me. Um, and so whenever I see people like you writing books, that's what those are the books that get me fired up because it's like, I want to learn from somebody who's been in the trenches, risked their own money to put these strategies in place and not just somebody who's studied about it for 20 years and 
uh, thought about doing it. And so I want to give you the platform to kind of talk a little bit about the book, um, why it's coming out, when it's coming out, and where people can go pick it up. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. So the book is called Unlock Your Potential, which I, I also have a podcast by that name. And it, the, the subheadline is The Ultimate Guide to Create Your Dream Life in the Modern World. So it, it's, and it really is, man. It's like, I mean, I've been an entrepreneur since I was 16 years old, since I dropped out of high school. Like I dropped out of high school and within a year while I was starting to get my own gigs, I also started a booking agency to book gigs for other bands. So I've actually been nice. an entrepreneur now for 27 years and I'm 43 now. And so it's, it's, you know, gosh, I guess I started writing the book. I mean, basically it's 20 plus years of entrepreneurial experience and, and, and school of hard knocks you know, wins and losses distilled into it. And it's a big book. So it's 370 pages, but it's, it's really, it's three books in one because I feel like we're at an inflection point and, and, you know, let's not dismiss COVID happened. Yeah. The world changed, right? So this is more than just, Hey, this Jeff guy has an interesting story of high school dropout, musician, college, entrepreneur, you know, bootstrap rags to riches, whatever. And it's even more than just, Hey, this guy, tactically knows how the new economy works and can steer people in the direction, you know, practically of how to start a side hustle or grow a business. There's a momentous shift, like a sea change that's happened in the world. And I wanted to go into that. I think it's fascinating. I think that the message that I have and the, and the narrative that I represent to the world, it is actually what the world needs right now. But I wanted the book to actually make a very sort of sophisticated case for why that is. Hmm. So I go into, a, I go deep on economics. And to be honest, if you want to sleep well at night, don't read my book <laughs> unless you're willing to Got take it. action on what it says, because it's going to present to you a very real problem about why the world is not going to look anything like it does in 20 years. And you're either going to be on the right side of that or the wrong side of that. Now the book tells you how to go to the right side of that, but you know, like anything, 90% of people read a book, don't follow its advice. And, and right. they're going to have a really hard time in a few years. I mean, you know, and I go, I go into the Bureau of Labor Statistics data and I go into Federal Reserve data and I, I show where we're headed. And it's a, it's a scary place for the, for the average middle-class person. Um, but, it's a, but it's a solutions guide, right? So, so anyway, that's the book. It comes out uh, August 2nd in bookstores everywhere. It is a, a national publishing deal. It's not, it's not a self, I don't have anything against self-published, but I was, I was yeah. fortunate with this story to actually attract a major publisher yeah, as far as where to get it, you know, they can just go, they can go to my website, jefflearnerofficial.com. And that book is uh, plastered all over. Jefflearnerofficial.com. Guys, if you're not following Jeff, I mean, you're probably not online. So, uh, but no, if, if you're even not following Jeff, go check out some of Jeff's stuff. Um, I mean, you guys heard him here today. We talked strategy. We talked uh, 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 relationships. We talked tactics, practical stuff. There's He's got a wealth, a wealth of knowledge. So uh, please go check out some of the stuff that Jeff is putting out there if you have not already. Uh, Jeff, it's a lot of fun for me, man. Thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show. My pleasure, Travis. This has been great. And to the audience out there, I appreciate you too. Thanks for listening. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Uh, welcome to the Build Network Podcast. If you are listening, you just heard one of our regularly scheduled episodes. But every once in a while, we have the opportunity on the back end of these episodes to bring on somebody who wants to bring a little bit more attention to the thing that they are doing, to the, the promotion that they're running, the business that they're operating. And in this case, uh, we wanted to bring a little bit more attention to this restaurant and some of the social good that they're doing out on the East Coast. So Devon Tanksley, what's up, bro? Welcome to the show. Yes, yes. Thanks. Thanks. So, thanks for having me as well. Appreciate of course. It. Of course. So 30 to 60 seconds, man. Outline 
outline the business for us. What is it that you guys do and what makes you unique? How are you helping people? Yes, yes. So the name of our restaurant in New Brand, Connecticut is called My Wife Didn't Cook. Um, the name awesome came, name. Yes, Congrats thank on you. That. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate it. It came basically off the fact that one, we wanted to be creative. Um, I told my wife, it can't be Devon's Chicken Spot or Jackie's this. We have to think outside the box. So My Wife Didn't Cook was just the best name that we could have came up with. And also too, in my community, there haven't been a soul food restaurant that served our culture food in over 25 years. Mm. So my wife didn't cook is also the first soul food restaurant within the community for the past 25 years. We also are really invested in the community. We run a youth program. We use a lot of those proceeds and profits from my wife didn't cook restaurant to invest in that youth program. And we also just, you know, we want to build jobs, we want to create jobs, economic development. And we want to just show people that you know, yes, you can provide great food, but you also can bro- provide, you know, um, inspiration to other people. You also can provide help. And, um, yeah. and that's what we was able to do. And that's what, that's what we want people to know. You know, we want to build and grow, but we also want to continue to give back um, to those um, in need and those who just want to be inspired, you know? Yeah, that, ma- that makes a lot of sense, man. And, and good for you guys for really pushing that, um, uh, that contribution part of the business. And that's one of the reasons that we ended up bringing you on, on the show because we're, we're just fascinated with people who are in business because they want to do well for themselves, but then they also want to do good for others um, on the back end. And having a, the successful business that you guys have really enables yeah. you to do that more effectively um, uh, with, with the actual proceeds and profits that you make inside of the restaurant. So what's coming up for you guys, man? What, what's next? What do you have on the horizon? What are some of your goals? Yeah, yeah. So right now we have started this um, economic development fund um, on our website. So basically people either... Um, Real quick, before you move invest- on, sorry, sorry, Devon, yep. before you move on, I, I want to get the website from you so that people can go check it out. Yes. Yeah, so it's, um, it's very easy. Um, it's mywifedidn'tcook.info. All one word straight through mywifedidn'tcook.info. And on that website, you know, we started an economic development fund um, because after um, the pandemic hit and we knew that people were in need for food, um, I told my wife, let's create some plates. So we end up making about 2000 a little over 2,000 plates and we fed the community. But what was unique and, and different that happened after that is randomly in the mail, we started receiving checks. So we start opening these, these, these envelopes and there was people from all over Connecticut who seen the story and this was sending us $200, $300, $400. So after that, we started an economic development fund. So now what we do is as that fund grows, we sponsor youth programs, adult programs. We try to give back to the community and we look for new ideas to create more um, jobs and stuff. And we're opening our second restaurant in Hartford, Connecticut in the next few months to come. And that's wow. basically the goal, you know, to be different, to be creative, but also inspire the next generation and create these jobs and economic development and let people know, you know, though it doesn't matter where you come from, um, you still can, you know, become great. You know, I had a troubled um, childhood growing up. So I was in and out of the juvenile detention center. You know, my parents were um, struggling. My dad was in and out of jail. So after I changed my life and now in my community, creating businesses and jobs and programs is very inspiring to um, people who look like me. I'm a young African-American kid who didn't have the resources growing up, but I was able to make it happen after I changed my life around and just decided to just shoot for it. And that's where I'm at today, you know, um, just just striving for greatness day by day, every day. 
if you could go back in time and give yourself a piece of advice as a young kid growing up the way that you grew up, what would you say? Man, you, you know, to be, to be honest with you, I would say, you know, listen more, you know, listen more and, and, and just, you know, cause I, 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 when I was a young kid, you know, I would sometimes get good advice from teachers and from people, but at, when you're young and you grow up in these neighborhoods of poverty and violence and you go out your, your house and you hear gunshots and it's, you don't want to listen to teachers that tell you, Hey, you need to, you know, you're going through so much trauma and stress. So you block out everything because you're going through your own emotional pain. Yeah. And I realized as I got older, everything my teachers was trying to tell me, everything mentors are trying to tell me, everything they was trying to tell me was 100% correct. So mm-hmm. I would say that, um, I would, I would listen more and I would take more advice. Um, cause I give, now I give all that advice to the next generation and to my kids. I have six kids. So I give six all that kids. advice to them. Yeah. Yeah. My wife and I, we have six. So, wow. you know, we got a, we got a full house. So I would say, listen more. I, w- I would really listen more than I talk. All right, man. Well, I got to ask you this question before I let you go, because, uh, yeah. I, I selfishly, whenever I get a chance to talk to more experienced parents, I like to ask them what their parenting advice is. Cause I got, I got two of them. Nowhere near yes. six, but uh, two. Okay. And uh, one of them's 18 months, the other one's three. And so we're, we're kind of in, in the thick of the uh, early stages. And so I'd, I'd love to hear yeah. your best parenting advice from having six kids. I mean, that's, that's, that's awesome. Man, to, to have a I, successful business, opening another one, helping out people, six kids. I mean, you got a lot of stuff going on, man. Congrats. No, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. So I, w- I would tell you, I would say that um, I love the the uniqueness of all of them. My my eighteen year old just got a scholarship to play basketball. Um, oh, nice! You know, he's about six five. He's going to Albertus Magnus in Connecticut. My other kid, you know, he he's a technology guy. Um, he likes stocks and stuff. I opened it up a stock account for him. He's only um fifteen. He likes that. My daughter, you know, she loves to be at the restaurant. So I would say, you know, just pay attention to what their interest is and let them be creative as opposed to always stop, put that down. Don't do that. Don't do that. That mm. kills the creativity of children. And you need to give them that balance at home because they're not going to get it at school. At school, it's going to be sit down, do your work, take this study. At home, you want them to be creative. You want them to think outside the box and you don't want to be popping them every time and hitting them every time and stop this and sit down. Let them be themselves. That's what I would say. Well, Devon, dude, this has been a lot. This has been a lot of fun, man. I open conversation. I appreciate you for coming on the show. Absolutely, um, anybody, everybody listening. If if you want to go be a part of what uh, what Devon and his uh, his wife and his family are up to over there in Connecticut, uh, please go visit mywifedidn'tcook.info, and uh, you can go directly on that page there and and contribute to their economic development fund. Uh, so that they can continue to give back to the the youth and the people in need around uh, around their area in Connecticut. I mean, this is a Really cool business model, man. Uh, really, uh, really cool idea. Congrats to you on, on all the success. Congrats on the beautiful family. And uh, hope to hope to keep hearing from you in the future, man. Absolutely. I'll keep in touch. And just, just for you, just to let you know, man, I've been following you way before I decided to um, tap into the guest deal. But I would say that you, you're a definite inspiration as well. I appreciate that, dude. I appreciate it. Yes, man. Uh, Thank as, you. Uh, you know, people, people, keep, people keep listening, then we'll keep uh, doing our thing, right? 100%, 100%, man. Appreciate you, Travis. 
All right, man. Appreciate you too, Devon. Thanks so much for coming on. If you're listening to this episode and you got something good from it, please go leave a quick rating review over Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Share the episode with somebody. Let them know that uh, that you uh, got something from it. And then if you heard this uh, mini interview after this episode that you were already listening to and you're curious about how you can sponsor one of these episodes and get your story out there a little bit more, uh, then head over to app.sto.com and search for My Show Build Your Network work and send us a quick pitch and let us know uh, what unique story you have to share with the audience. And uh, maybe we have a conversation just like the one I had with Devon today. Devon, once again, bro, thanks so much for taking the time. We'll chat soon. Appreciate it. Take care. Hey, hey, thanks for listening to this episode. That's it for today. As you all know, this show is completely free. Our only ask is that if you found anything valuable in this episode or in any of the episodes that you've listened to, then share it with somebody else and leave us a quick rating review in whatever platform you're listening to right now. It would be super, super helpful for us. Uh, So that's it for today, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Catch you next time. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.